from The Athletic, guy who knows more about the Niners than I do, and I've been following them since I was a little kidlet when this guy was in Virginia. It's Matt Barrows. Matthew, how are you? Dave, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Oh, I'm just fired up. You know, my buddy Grant Napier and a few others say that uh, Terrell Owens, there's no way he's a top three receiver. At least that's what I hear. Matt, is in your mind, is Terrell Owens, and feel free to tell me I'm dumb here, is Terrell Owens, in your mind, uh, a top three receiver of all time? And if not, where would you probably rank him? Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm with you on this. I mean, um, his numbers are top two. I mean, he's behind Jerry Rice in some of the major ca- categories there. And, um, you know, I've never seen another player, much less a, a receiver, just strike fear into the hearts of opposing defenses, really affect games uh, like T.O. did. Uh, the very first game I covered was that 2002 season uh, playoff game between the Giants and the 49ers, the Trey Junkin bad snap game. And if you'll recall, the 49ers went, you know, went behind early in that game, and it, it, it looked hopeless. It was T.O., T.O. and Jeff Garcia, who, uh, who fueled that comeback. And the, the Giants tried everything they could to thwart that, to, to get in T.O.'s face, double coverage, this and that. And he just outplayed them. He was a man among boys in that game, the second half of that game. And his his anger, his drive, whatever you want to call it, um, just uh, won the day for the 49ers. He was the fuel behind that comeback. And, and he did that in a lot of games. And uh, he was a very, very difficult guy to contend with. When you – I'm curious also, Matt, because – and in all seriousness, I mean, you, you know football like none other that I talk to. When you look at the generational conversation, for me – when we're talking about wide receivers, we've done a lot of this with this week, obviously, with both Moss and Owens going into the Hall of Fame. When you get to the generation gap, I have a real hard time with no disrespect to Don Hudson or Lance Allworth. And this goes across sports, Matt. I have a really hard time putting those guys in the conversation through no fault of their own. I just feel like if you put, you know, and a lot of it's just technology and the evolution of the sport and all that. It, like if you put Lance Allworth or Don Hudson in today's football versus putting Terrell Owens back when they played, I, I you said men amongst boys. I that's how I feel. Do you give the older guys a bit more of a break when you're talking about all time greats? Well, uh, T.O. might be playing offensive tackle if he's playing <laughs> in the nineteen in the nineteen fifties and sixties. But um, but but yeah, I mean, you really have to be able to know what lens you're looking through when you look through. I mean. You know, just for an example, we were talking about, you know, remember how historically bad the 49ers run defense was uh, in in 2016. Uh, You had to go back into, you know, the late 70s, early 80s to find defenses that were giving up that amount of yards. And and the reason was that teams were just running a lot more back then. So, of course, um, there was more yards gained on the ground and more yards given up on the ground back then. Because it was just a different, a different type of game, and then Joe Montana and, and some other teams, the the Chargers, Eric Coriel, changed that dynamic and you know got them, it got us to the point where we are now, where um, where where passing is so much more important. You you even see that in sort of in fantasy football these days. When we started playing fantasy football in the late '90s and early 2000s. Um, running backs, you had to get the running back. That was the the thing that you had to do first. Now. You know, maybe you wait until the second or the third round to get that because wide receivers 
um, are the ones that are really churning up the yards. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we see that from decade to, to decade and uh, even in the, in the recent ones. Matt Barrow is joining us. And then to, to put a cap on this, here's the tough one. You got to take one from the start to the end of their career. Terrell Owens or Randy Moss, who do you grab? I take Terrell Owens because, um, you know, to me, Randy Moss just had too many of those games where he was, he was loafing. Um, and you had all that talent, and um, and and maybe he was uh, he certainly was the the better deep threat, and you can make the argument that with that um, he's the better threat. But um, Owens always was supercharged, not just energized in games. He was, um, you know, he, he was uh, someone to be reckoned with, and, and I don't think you could say that uh, for for Randy Moss. I mean, just look at the. The Super Bowls. I mean, uh, Owens came back from a, a very bad injury and got himself to the point where not he not only played in his Super Bowl uh, with the Eagles, he was he affected the game. Randy Moss, you know, the Super Bowls that he was in, uh, I, I don't know if you could say that. Certainly not the one that uh, he played in with with the Forty ers Matt Barrows with us from the Athletic. Matt, uh, Richard Sherman update: Is there one on that hamstring? Yeah, I really no. Um, he suffered the hamstring. I guess it was in Sunday's practice, maybe uh, Saturday's practice. <laughs> All the days are starting to blur together for me. Um, and uh, it's a grade one, which is the lowest grade hamstring strain you can get. And uh, it's a little higher in the muscle than the, the 49ers would love. But um, it's not going to keep him out long term. They're going to be very cautious with him he will not play in Thursday's preseason opener against the Dallas Cowboys but the thought is that uh, when practices resume next week I think Saturday would be the next one after the game um, he'd get worked back into the uh, into the mix there so uh, obviously you got three more preseason games after that basically a month to go before the start of the regular season and uh, the hope is that he gets back on schedule with his uh, sort of easement back into the swing of things. So for Niner fans kind of gripping about Richard Sherman, I know you're not a doctor, but this doesn't seem like, oh, my God, he got injured last year. This is a complication to it. He might be banged up all year. They're, they're just being cautious with him to the best of your knowledge. Well, yeah, I mean, it is related to the Achilles in the sense that, uh, you know, he wasn't allowed to run for a long period of time. And. Uh, when that happens and you do start again, you tend to get these these strains and pulls. And he was really pushing himself on the play in which he, he injured it. I mean, it happened right in front of me. It was a deep pass uh, to Pierre Garçon. He lunged for it, didn't make it, and then went to the ground. I mean, I, that's that's easily the, the hardest uh, he's been running uh, probably in, in more than a year because he was dealing with uh, the Achilles strain before uh, the rupture occurred, and so they were taking it easy on him in practices in Seattle. So, I mean, in, in that sense, it's good that he was able to really uh, go 100 miles an hour, 100%, um, and uh, the Achilles themselves uh, l- looked fine. It was the hamstring that uh, got tweaked a bit. So uh, you can read the, into that uh, a couple of different ways. The bottom line is that it's not a long-term issue um, he's still going to be on track to play in the pre- in, in the regular season opener uh, in early September. Matt, my guy Kyle, if you mention Fred Warner around him, he melts into a, a pool of uh, gold and Big red. Big Fred Warner guy. Yeah. and Love and me some Fred Warner. We haven't talked to you since uh, last week. You, <laughs> you wrote in your piece, 
that he absolutely laid out Kyle Juszczyk, who is built like a trash can filled with water. Um, how, how has his camp, aside from that, been Warner's? It's been excellent, and you know the the spring was probably even better because that's where he really made his his biggest leaps. Um, you know, this is a guy that played out in space at BYU. He was he was basically a nickel cornerback in a in a linebacker's body, and uh, that's that's why they liked him there because he could do so many different things. But you know, playing inside, playing middle linebacker uh, was different for him, and so there was a, a question mark about how quickly he could. Uh, you know, grasp the playbook, learn that new position, and basically run the defense. Because when you're the middle linebacker, you're the guy who's getting the, the play call in from the sideline. You're the guy who's organizing the huddle. You're the guy who's calling the play. And uh, Fred Warner did all of that with a plum in the spring and, uh, you know, entered uh, training camp basically as the number two middle linebacker behind Malcolm Smith. And um, he's he's putting himself in a position when Reuben Foster is suspended for the first two games of the season to be the guy who's next to Malcolm Smith. Now, Malcolm Smith likely would still be the, the middle linebacker, maybe not. Uh, the point is that one of those two guys would be calling the plays and the other would be the weak side backer. And, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a, uh, a battle. Uh, basically, whoever wins the number three inside linebacker job for the 49ers will start the first two games of the season, and Warner is very much part of that mix. Matt, do you think the receiving core is going to be good enough to to help this offense contend? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's uh, one of the night and day differences between this year and last year. Uh, you, you had guys like Kendrick Bourne and Victor Bolden, undrafted wide receivers, make this team, and uh, they were they were good. They were impressive at times. Uh, but I think it, it really just showed you how weak that group was from top to bottom. Uh, this year, you know, I, I, I don't know if uh, – I don't think both of those guys will be uh, on the active roster. It, it could be that none of those guys are. And uh, that, that just tells you how strong that unit is overall. And then um, at the very top of it, you know, to me, Marquise Goodwin – it has a, has a real shot of being something special in this league, not just the 49ers' best receiver, not just a 1,000-yard receiver, which would be great for the 49ers. They haven't had Man. very many of those since uh, T.O. was in red and gold, but um, somebody that uh, you know catches the league by storm, and uh, he's got all the tools, and he's got, most importantly, he's got the drive. He's got the, the will to do that, and, and, and to me, you saw that in yesterday's practice. Um, he ended the practice with a long touchdown pass from Jimmy Garoppolo, which was great. But I, I was watching him the, the six plays before that. He went deep on each of those plays. He's running like 35, 45 yards sprinting uh, on each of those. And by the end of it, he's exhausted. And yet he still was able to push himself in an early August training camp uh, practice uh, when some guys will you tap their helmets and take themselves to the sideline, he pushed himself and was able to outrun everybody to the end zone and make that play. And to me, that just kind of encapsulates what's inside him, uh, what's motivating him, what will distinguish him from you know just another really fast wide receiver in this league. 
Matt Barrows at the Athletic with us. The train rolling through his backyard. We haven't heard that in a while. You, you've got uh, you've got great ears, Dave. You're able to pick those things out. That, that thing's still a mile off, too. It's going to get louder. I, it's my one of my favorite parts of our interview. But so, you know, choking and everything else aside, the train rolling through the back is and and how and Matt, you're so professional the way you power through it too. By the way. That's how I get to work in the morning. I just run and uh, jump on the back uh, with the other vagabonds, and then I hop off when it hits Santa Clara. Uh, Matt, I loved your article. I always like your articles. I loved your article today, and I'm just going to throw out some highlights, and I want you to string them together. But I, I thought you did a great job talking about kind of an underrated hire for for the Niners, uh, Chris Kiffin, if you recognize the last name. That's the younger brother of uh, Lane Kiffin, uh, the son of Monty Kiffin. And you kind of put out there a, a Buccaneers uh, relationship there maybe. Uh Solomon Thomas to Forrest Buckner and Warren Sapp and Booger McFarland and Derek Brooks and Reuben Foster and the fact that the safety on those Bucks teams, which had amazing defenses, uh, that safety is a guy who drafted or signed seven of the expected defensive starters for the Niners, John Lynch. It's kind of an interesting insight I thought you had into maybe what they're trying to do. Yeah, well, we'll just go back to John Lynch's first draft last year. Um, who are his first-round draft picks? An in, interior pass rusher, Solomon Thomas, and uh, an inside linebacker, and Reuben Foster. Uh, that's exactly what the Bucks did in 1995 with, with Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks, both first-round guys. And there are a lot of parallels between uh, you know th- those four players. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely a uh, sort of a, a Bucks slant to this team. Um, you know those Bucks teams, and, and this is the point of the of the article. Uh, they didn't add a uh, a marquee edge rusher until they got Simeon Rice in 2001, and Simeon Rice was great in that role. But they were still a really good defense in the years leading up to that. And uh, you know the strength of that defense was their interior defensive line with, with, with Sapp, with McFarland. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the real similarity to the 49ers. They've uh, put a lot of their draft capital in uh, interior defensive linemen. Uh, Solomon Thomas and DeForest Buckner will be the interior rushers. And so that's what uh, Chris Kiffin, son of Monty Kiffin, is trying to do. He's trying to uh, create a, a really good pass rush without the benefit of having, you know, the traditional, uh, you know, Lawrence Taylor uh, Charles Haley, sack master on, on the edge. How do you do that? And you do that by really rushing in concert, uh, having everybody on the same page, having everybody disciplined in their, in their rush lanes. And so that you're, in his words, you're setting a trap in the middle of that for the, for the quarterback basically to step forward and into DeForest Buckner's arms or into Solomon Thomas if uh, teams are double-teaming DeForest Buckner Thomas should have a, a single block to beat, and uh, he did that very well at Stanford. That's, that was sort of his bread and butter. So uh, on paper, that, that should work uh, better this year than the, uh, I forget the number of sacks they had last year, but it was one of the lowest in the league. That's Matt Barrows writing for The Athletic just this week. You can read about what we just talked about there with that Tampa 2 situation. Also, Marquise Goodwin fighting through fatigue. 
Jimmy Garoppolo staying late. You got a lot of great content on The Athletic, and trust me, the only way I know about it is I subscribe, and not only do they have phenomenal 49er coverage, uh, they've got great Raider coverage. I see a Florida State football page there. Jason Jones is now with The Athletic, so you're probably going to get some Kings coverage. Good stuff, Matt. As always, go to theathletic.com to read Matt Barrows. Thank you for your time, buddy boy. All right. Anytime, guys. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Catch that train. That's Matt Barrows, best in the business.